Hey, good morning. I sense a particular freedom in the spirit this morning, so look out. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 11. Hebrews 12, 11 through 17 this morning. We're almost to the end of this great letter. Don't even know who the author is, but he or she has shared with us some amazing truths about our God. And today we want to continue because today's passage is really a preparation for all of us who know the Lord to be in His presence. And we'll talk more about that later. Now to begin with this morning, I want to share this with you. This passage of Scripture that we're looking at is actually an example in biblical studies of what we call an inclusio. An inclusio is a literary device that basically creates a frame, a bracket, or parenthesis around a particular passage of Scripture based upon a similar word, idea, or phrase being used at the beginning and the end of the passage. So again, think of it as a frame. This passage is being framed by something. Again, something that is caused by a similar word, phrase, or idea. You find these inclusios all throughout the Bible if you study. And so today I want you to first notice what the frame is created by. It's created by actually a word here. In verse 11, it's the word later. In the Net Bible, it says this. Now all discipline seems painful at the time, not joyful, but later... It produces the fruit of peace and righteousness for those trained by it. The word later in verse 11. That's a positive example of the later. Now I want you to see the negative example of the later. In the Net Bible, it may also, it's it's translated later. In your Bible, your translation, it may be translated afterward or eventually. But in verse 17, notice, it says, For you know that later... Afterward, eventually, when Esau wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no opportunity for repentance, although he sought it with tears. Later. See, God wants us to think about later. There is a later to everything. There's always a result, a consequence, an after effect, a harvest, a reaping of everything in life. There's always a later. And in this passage of scripture, God wants us to focus on two things that will help provide a better later for us. Training and teamwork. That's the only two points in the message this morning. We can all remember those. I had to reduce it to those two so that I could remember those two this morning. Training. You see, that's where he starts out really in verse 11, 12, and 13 here in this passage. It's all about being willing to enter God's gymnasium, if you will, and allow God to train us, to coach us up, if you will, using that athletic metaphor. Because remember, this is all in the context of Hebrews chapter 12. Well, he told us last week, we've got to have the mindset that we are running as Christians a long distance marathon. So he says, run with endurance this race that is set before you. So that's why in verse 11, he says, look, all discipline or correction from the Lord is painful at the time. But afterwards, 
later. If we are willing to go through the coaching and the teaching and the instruction and the training and working out and all of that later, it produces a lot of good stuff. He's trying to get us to see that we've got to be willing to live that way. That's why he chooses Esau as the example he does in sort of contrast to that. Because Esau was never about waiting for anything to come and investing in the now for the payoff later. You've heard the whole thing of pay me now or pay me later. Well, that's what God tries to get us as followers of Jesus Christ to see. We either put in some of the pain and go through some of the pain that, that we need to now, or we're going to have to experience way more pain later. And God is calling us, as his followers, be willing to go through my training now. Because it will be painful. Just like physically, working out or, you know, lifting weights. And again, think about, you know, maybe some of you had like a, a sports background like I did. You know, you went in, you, you did all that you know, preparation and stuff. And, and it was painful, but on the day of competition or on the day of the game or whatever, it was worth putting in all of that time and training and preparation. Notice he says in verse 12, therefore strengthen your listless hands and your weak knees. Literally in the original it said, make straight again. I remember when I played basketball, by the fourth quarter, you know, most of us, because our coach always pressed the whole game. I mean, by the fourth quarter, you know, I'm standing there even at the foul line, and I'm, I'm tugging on my shorts, and I'm, I'm, I'm like this. I'm what we, you know, I'm sucking air. And the only way that I could get stronger, even into the fourth quarter, was putting in the pain of running and conditioning and continuing to get in better and better shape. And what the author is saying is, folks, all of us have things in our lives that need coached up by God. All of us have areas in our lives that need correction and instruction. And we've got to be willing to be teachable enough and humble enough before God to say, God, do in my life, train me up, coach me up, help me so that in this long distance marathon, I won't get to that place where I hit a wall and won't have the strength to keep on going. Help me, God, to have the strength spiritually to be able to meet all the challenges and obstacles that are going to be in my way. Because again, part of why God so invests in the now for what's coming is, unlike us, God knows what's coming in our lives. He knows what's down the road. He knows what we're going to face. And he's in his loving kindness trying to say, Jeff, or to any of us, I need you to invest in this training now because there's something coming. You're going to need that extra strength. You're going to need that depth spiritually in your life. So put in the time now. Enter my gym. Work out with me. Let me coach you. Let me train you. Let me prepare you for what's coming. And then he says in verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet. Set yourself up as a Christian for success, not defeat. 
Remove the unnecessary obstacles in your life. Follow the path that God has for you rather than your own path or our own path. That's what he's saying in verse 13. So that what is lame may not continue to be put out of joint, but rather healed and made whole by the Lord. Here's the picture he's giving us. Let me use the race metaphor and all of that. Let me continue with that since in chapter 12, that's sort of where he started out. If you and I are in a race, or we're running, even if it's just for exercise, and let's say we develop some kind of thing that makes us limp, whether it's even just like a blister, the author here is saying, you can continue to be stubborn, and you can continue to run with that blister or, or that, that incorrect way of running that's bringing you pain now, and you can stop... And you can allow God to fix that, if you will. Because part of what he's talking here about is not just sort of getting into the gym and working out and being fit. He's also saying that part of God's training is also sometimes allowing God to do surgery in our life. Or to go through, in a sense, rehabilitation with God. Because he wants to restore us to sort of a maximum efficiency. To where we can function at the very highest level. So he's saying some of us at times need sort of spiritual surgery from God. Some of us need to go through God's rehabilitation program and restoration program. Because if we don't, and we keep running with this incorrect way of running that causes us pain now, or this blister that we've got, if we don't take care of it now, it only is going to give us a greater, more severe injury. In other words, he's saying, you're only going to be in more pain if you don't stop and get it corrected. And yet there's so many Christians that they keep sort of just in their own human stubbornness. They sort of just keep putting their head down, keep going the way they're going, even though their life right now is painful because they're not allowing God to train them and correct and and move into their life and really work. They keep trying to do life their way, and yet it keeps getting more and more and more painful. And it's going to get to a point where, like it would physically in our life, where we just say, I can't go on anymore. I can't put up with the pain any longer. It just gets to that pain threshold where we say, okay, it's time to do something. And God is saying, instead of getting to the point where something so drastic has to be done in your life, because you've ignored the pain, you know, you didn't go to the doctor when you should, you, you didn't pay attention to all the symptoms that were coming, you just kept on doing your life the way you did it, that finally you land yourself on your back and then you, then you have to look up type of thing. God says, why do my children... You don't have to get to that point. When you and I go through the training process of God, and again, allow Him to be our spiritual coach, if you will, and take us through His regimen every day to make us strong, to make us fit, to rehab us, to restore us, that God says it's ultimately to bring healing. A healing that only God can bring. And so he says, folks, training from God 
can, prov- can provide pain in our life at times. But God allows that pain temporarily so that ultimately, and over a longer season and stretch of life, we won't have to experience that pain. And that's what God's all about. I mean, he, he doesn't take any pleasure about allowing or bringing pain into our life, except if it's going to ultimately provide us and get us to a better place to where we don't continue to live through the pain and continue to injure ourselves more and more, but where we actually can overcome that and actually be healed and actually feel good, if you will. In fact, many of you know this to be true, that even on a physical level, sometimes you and I have put up with things so long that when finally healing comes into our life, we're going, is that how it feels to feel good again? And I wonder even today in our society, in our culture around the world, where everybody just sort of lives with pain and then tries to deaden the pain with, with drugs or alcohol or other things, that we don't really know what it's like to be pain-free in the right way. We just sort of feel like, well, it must be just the way life has to be. No. God says, you go through my training program, and yeah, you'll have a little bit of pain there, but it's going to, it's going to prevent a greater pain from coming into your life that's going to stick with you. That's going to continue to debilitate you and defeat you. Let me heal you, God says. And only God can supernaturally touch us in that way. So training. Then beginning in verse 14 through verse 17, he talks about teamwork. Now, before I get into that, though, I want to go back to Esau for a moment. To that whole later, later thing. (laughs) Because again, out of all the biblical examples that the author could have chosen, why did he choose Esau? Because Esau is a classic contrast of what we just talked about. See, Esau sold his birthright for a meal. Yeah. Because like a lot of people today, Esau did not value spiritual values or spiritual things. Esau just like something with God or something spiritual. No, 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 no. I'm all about the physical. I'm all about the material. I'm all about the things that I can touch and feel and see. Spiritual things don't matter that much to me. And Esau's a great example of someone who lived their life for the instant gratification, the here and now. That's all he cared about. He didn't care about the later. He didn't care about what eventually would happen, what was going to come afterward. All he cared about was the here and now. And God is warning us. He's saying, if you and I live our life only for the here and now, and we don't live our life with the constant consideration that there's a later coming, we're going to be in trouble just like Esau. Because notice what it says about Esau in verse 17. Finally, one day later, Esau goes, I want that blessing, God. Give it to me now. And guess what? God said, no, you are disqualified. Why? Because, let's say this, God, unlike society today, is not into entitlement programs. God says, if you want something from me, now I'm not talking about salvation here, folks, so don't, you know, get all... (laughs) Salvation is a free gift. But the blessings 
are those things that God entrusts to us that are of great value. They are roles, responsibilities, purposes, His will for our life, all these things. And that is not something God's just going to hand us on a silver platter. God says, you've got to earn that responsibility through training. I mean, think about it in our life. If we really thought about this, we'd go, well, duh, obviously I would be that way. So certainly God's going to be even that way in a great way. You and I wouldn't trust, say, going to a surgeon tomorrow to have him work on us if he had never been through any education or any training, right? You'd be a little wigged out about that. I stayed at the Holiday Inn Express, you know. No, that wouldn't work for you, right? And yet somehow I think as Christians sometimes we think, well, God's just going to hand that to me, right? No. These are great maybe responsibilities and things. And God says, you've got to go through my training and my instruction. And you've got to, to you know, grow to a point where you can handle that responsibility. I just can't hand it to you. So later on, Esau's like, God, I want that blessing now. And God says, no. Even though Esau was like, but God. You know, some good things for some parents in this passage, too. And grandparents. And just us as people, you know, we, we, we allow the emotional outbursts of people to sort of wear us down. God doesn't, you know, it's not that he's cold or anything. He's just like, Esau, I'm sorry. I got to say no, because you're not ready for it. In fact, from God's perspective, he said, I would only do you disservice and do you harm and actually then do everybody around you harm if I just handed this to you. You're not ready for it. So God says no. See, Esau didn't get it back before all this that he can't turn the clock back on his life and start all over again. And yet he needed that time in his life to be trained by God coached up by God, prepared by God for this blessing that God wanted to give him. So the reason why God just couldn't hand it to him is he needed that time and he's lost it now. That's what God is saying here. Some opportunities never come back around again. Why? Because we need the time to prepare and get ready for it and be trained for certain things that God wants to hand into our hands. And if we're not willing to go through his training and then be part of the team that God wants us to be part of, we will never be ready for it. And later on the road, we can be like Esau and say, but God, I want this and I want that. And God's going to say, I can't hand that into your hands because you can't handle it. You're not ready for it. So now let's talk about teamwork. Notice verse 14. Pursue peace with everyone, not just some people, everyone and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's a pretty powerful verse. You want to see the Lord in your life? Then guess what? First of all, we, followers of Jesus Christ, in the age of rage that we live in, in the age of outrage that we live in, in the age where everyone is offended by everyone and everything, we are called to pursue peace. Not just with those that we like. Not just with those who agree with us. But with everyone. 
See, in this passage, God is saying, I created you not just for training, but I always created you to be part of a team of someone and bigger than yourselves. That's part of what the body of Christ is all about. Why? Because you and I have got to get to a place where we realize that I don't have to, nor is it good for me, to always be around those who think like me and act like me and would do life the way I always do it. That I've got to get to a place where I realize that I can profit, I can benefit, I can grow, I can be stronger from actually being around people who are different than me. That's why he says, pursue peace with everyone. That's why over and over again in this passage, he tells us this. Look at verse 15. See to it. And he uses that phrase twice. Look at verse 16. And see to it. The words in that phrase speak about being aware of everyone around us. And looking intently and carefully at each other. And being there for each other. And notice he doesn't just say those you like, those you get along with, those you agree with. Notice he says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. See to it that no one becomes bitter. Because bitter people are angry people and resentful people and frustrated people and annoyed people. And they certainly aren't about pursuing peace with everyone. And then he says, see to it that people don't become like Esau, who again did not value spiritual things, only valued worldly things, who was only in it for the instant gratification and not for the long haul or the later. See to it. You know what that phrase is saying to us? We are our brother's keeper. After Cain killed Abel and God came to confront Cain, Said, your brother's blood is crying out to me in heaven. I've come to see what's going on. Obviously, God knew what was going on. And what was Cain's response? Am I my brother's keeper? And God basically said, yeah. You see, Christianity is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. It's not like tennis. It's like football, baseball, basketball, you name it, any team sport. It's a team sport. Using the context of running the race, it's not only me being concerned about me finishing the race well and enduring this marathon race. It's about me caring enough about you and being concerned enough about you that you finish the race too. And that might mean that I have to learn to start getting along with people and working with people and compromising, and doing things with people that don't always think or act like me. Now to some of you this morning, this is a revelation, and yet I ask you this question. Are you part of a family? Because in your family, you realize that no one in your family thinks exactly like you do, right? 
No one does things exactly like you do. No one in your family acts exactly like you do. They are unique individuals who have their own way of doing things. And yet, if you're going to function as a family, if you're going to survive as a family, you've got to learn to compromise, be selfless, get along with others who are not just like you. And God is saying to his followers, I've created the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters in Christ, who many of them are not like you. They don't think like you. They don't act like you. But you can learn from them. And you can grow from them. And you can be stronger because you learn to come together in this diversity that God so loves and has created in this world. A couple things. If you and I would just consider the animal kingdom. Animal kingdom. I'm used to talking to my grandchildren. Animal? No. Animal kingdom. I mean, you start thinking about from everything from the aardvark to the armadillo. God, what were you thinking? Duck-billed platypus and all these different... And you look at the animals that God created and you go, wow, some of them are really strange. What were you thinking by the hammerhead shark that's got its eyeballs out here? Yeah, God, and, and God is trying to say, because I love diversity. I didn't create everything to be uniform. If you know me and you see me, then you will know that I love diversity. Because God says it's in the differences. And coming together in spite of our differences. And learning not to always have our way. That we actually become more like Jesus Christ. Which is why he pairs pursue peace with everyone with holiness. Holiness is simply the act of becoming more holy. It is that progressive transformation where we become more like Jesus Christ. And God's plan is the best way you can become like Jesus Christ is in this laboratory where you allow yourself to be around people who don't think like you, don't act like you, and where you have to come together and work together. And not always get your way. And not always have things the way you want it. You actually become a better person that way. That's why, you know, I I just, I have to chuckle inside of myself. I try not to do it outwardly. When people say, I I just don't want to, I I just, there's nobody at, at my church that I really fit with and get along with and everything. Well, okay. Maybe God wants it that way for you because maybe you need to be stretched a little bit. Again, I go back to your family. Everyone in your family is not like you. And then I think about you poor souls here in the Oasis. Because you are sitting under a very strange man. <laughs> Crazy man. A man who's very different. And yet God, in his weird ways of working, may go, but I want you to sit under this man. As crazy as he is. Because maybe it will be in some way for your good. Put up with his craziness. Put up with his differences. It may benefit. And that's what God wants us to see from all sides of our lives. I learned a song really early on in my childhood in Sunday school class. 
Red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in His sight. My Bible tells me in John 3.16, God so loved the world. That's everyone. And many times as Christians... The way we speak and act towards other human beings that were created in the image of God is not how Jesus would speak and act towards us. And God is saying, I'm not telling you it's easy to live in a world where people are so different from you. Especially for us as Christians. He said, but you've got to understand, you're not just different from the world and all those people out there that don't know God. You're different from each other too, even as followers of Jesus Christ. There's not one, two people here this morning in this auditorium that are exactly alike. Every last one of us thinks a little differently, does things a little differently. And yet God says, but you're my children now. And now I want you to start seeing to it and being part of a team. Many Christians miss out so much in their life on earth for what God could do with them or want to do with them because they are independent. They can never learn to get along with anyone or anything other than the people that just... they fit as closely as possible with. But God calls us to something bigger and greater than that. And maybe even some of you at the Oasis. Part of why you don't get involved in ministry and service like maybe even you used to is because you're waiting for God to dump into your lap somebody that thinks and looks at things just the way you do. Can I tell you? That'll never happen. God says, be willing to get up and start moving in circles that maybe you wouldn't have chosen for yourself. Again, that's why at the Oasis, we don't have a lot of situations where we try to divide you off into groups. The marrieds are over here. The singles are over here. You guys should never get together. The older people are over here. The younger people are over here. And you should never mix. Because the Bible says, no, no, no. We all, no matter what background and age in life and all of this that we are at, we can all learn and grow from each other. And maybe, just maybe, God wants to teach us something from someone by just being willing to consider another perspective on something. Because maybe we think, man, I'm rock solid on that. But then God brings somebody in our life and says, but have you ever considered looking at it from that perspective? Oh, no. Again, that takes a lot of teachability and humility. But to me, that's part of pursuing peace with everyone and holiness by which no one will see the Lord apart from. You see, again, at the beginning of the message, I said, why is God doing all this? Why does He want, to do, why does he want us to put, be put through all this training and teamwork? Because God is preparing us for His presence. 
Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare this place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, though that where I am, there you may be also. And guess what? When we get to heaven, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation chapter 5, there will be people there in heaven from every nation, every tribe, every dialect, every people group imaginable on the earth. There's going to be so much different from us. And God is saying, you better get used to different. Because you're going to be spending all eternity with those different from you. I think I've shared this maybe once before that if I had my druthers, if, if I could pastor my dream church, besides you all, by the way, it would actually contain you all just more. It would be to have somebody represented from every nation on earth in our church. Every culture, every background. Because that's what heaven's going to be like. And can I say this? I can't prove this biblically, but I do know this. God has a sense of humor. And for some Christians who say, I just can't get along with brother or sister so-and-so, I just wonder if throughout eternity, your dwelling place may be next door to theirs. God says, well, you couldn't get along down here on earth, but let's take eternity. Because see, the people that we, in a sense, isolate ourselves, I hate to tell you, but God says, you're all going to be with me for all of eternity. So wouldn't it be better to learn to get along with each other through the power of the Holy Spirit down here? Rather than wait till we get up there and have to. Because God's not going to tolerate it up there. See, God's people should actually be setting the example for the rest of the world. Whereas the Bible says, with one mouth, with one heart, With one passion, we are glorifying God. Coming together as diverse as we are. And saying like a team would, a successful team. We're going to lay aside self, our own agendas and everything. And we are going to work towards a common goal. Every successful team that I was on in sports, there was not that much of a difference or drop-off in skill between the good teams that I was on and the bad teams. And I was on undefeated teams that won championships, and I was on teams that never won a game all year. But it really wasn't like, well, this good team had so many more skilled players than the team that wasn't any good. No. You know what the difference in the team was? The attitude of the players. When you found a group of people that said, we are not going to be on this team for us, We are going to be on this team for each other. We're going to go out there on that field and we are going to have each other's backs. We're not going to try to push our own agenda on this team and to deflect glory to ourselves. We're going to to get glory for the team. Those teams were successful. The teams that I were on that weren't successful were the teams that were made up of people that it was all about them. All they wanted was the glory for themselves. They didn't want to work with anybody. They didn't want to compromise. 
They didn't want to do something for the greater good of anything else. It was all about them. And in the age of selfishness and narcissism and self-absorption that we live in, we as followers of Jesus Christ should be so different. Because who is our example? None other than the Lord Jesus himself who did everything he did that we're going to remember here in just a moment. And why did he do that? Because we were so lovable. Because we were so good. Because it wouldn't cost him anything. Because he wouldn't have to make any sacrifices. No, just the opposite. Jesus said, I love you so much that I will be willing to do whatever it takes, including dying on a cross, giving up my very life to show you how much I love you and how much I want to spend eternity with you. And so Jesus says to his followers, follow me. Remember what he said to his disciples. Love one another. As I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples because of the love you have for each other. Love isn't about loving only those that we like, that we agree with, that we fit in with. That we do things the way they do. No, love is a supernatural choice through the power of the Holy Spirit to love those who are even maybe unlovable. Which is why God says to His children, you have the power through the Holy Spirit to even love your enemies. My Bible tells me in the book of Romans chapter 12, do not in any way think that you can overcome evil with evil. That won't work. The only way evil can be overcome is through good, Paul says to the Romans. And that was to a group of people who were citizens of the Roman Empire who had... A Caesar above them. And he said, I'm telling you, love your enemies. Be willing to go through my training. Be willing to be part of a team. Because later, you'll be glad you did. There's a harvest coming, there's a reaping. Their results. And God says, I want you to be ready for what's coming. And I want your life to be filled with good fruit. God says, pursue peace with everyone and holiness without which no one, no exceptions, no one will see the Lord. I don't know about you. I want to see the Lord. I want to experience Him. I want to encounter Him. 
I want to clearly discern the Lord of glory. Then God says, be willing to go through my training and be willing to be part of a team of people different, much different sometimes than yourself. You'll benefit from it. You'll profit from it. Let's stand in prayer and our, our worship team comes. In a moment, our folks are going to be stationed throughout the auditorium also to dismiss you to go back and get the elements for the communion today. In each of our observances of the Lord's table here at the Oasis, I, I like to have sort of a different emphasis. And today, God was clearly moving me to emphasize this today. And that is when we go back to that table and as believers in Jesus Christ, we pick up those elements that are to remind us of the sacrifice of our Lord. Let's be reminded even by his own example what he did the night he was betrayed. He chose to eat with a group of men who except for one disciple was going to cut and run. He chose to eat this meal and observe this with a man who the next day was going to deny him three times. He chose to eat this meal with the man who would kiss him and betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus is saying to us, that's the kind of follower I want. I want a follower who will allow me to train them and be part of a team to where they can get to a place in their life where they can be as selfless and sacrificial as I was. Where it's not about me. It's about caring and being concerned that everyone finished the race. And where we truly, truly love each other with an agape unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love. God, we pray today that you would use our time here in your house for our eternal benefit. God, we would realize that a later is coming in our life and throughout eternity. And what we do now and what we choose to do now in our lives will affect our later Help us not to be like Esau. Help us to be like the one who was willing to go into the gym with you every day and work out and be trained and coached and instructed and corrected and rehabilitated and restored. Because God, ultimately, you want to heal us. Bring even healing today, God, in many lives here. We need you, God. We rely on you. We depend upon you. Teach us to do it even more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.